Grand Poop Magree, super high priest of the local void parish, listened patiently as his flock came forward, one by one, to proclaim aloud their week's mistakes. The congregation was small, and their ideology focused on the reduction of suffering, so the confessions were minimal. When every member had spoke their piece, the Grand Poop rose and tapped his absurdly ornate magic wand three times and recited the ancient words, Be free of all your guilt. It serves no purpose now. There shall be no penance. The congregation murmured in disbelief, as was the theatrical custom. If you have lied, quoth Magree, playing it up for the cheap seats, then you shall carry that burden with you out into the world. If you have spoken the truth before those you value most, you will be free in your hearts, your minds, and your loins to fully embrace the void. podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome friends to episode 16 of Embrace the Void, where all my summer optimism is dead and winter has come to my heart. I am your host Aaron, and with me as always is my co-consul in the Void Senate, GW. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm wondering if that is in the form of a fucking zombie dragon. It is a zombie dragon laying waste to my heart right now, and it's, it's got DACA sprayed across the side of it. <laughs> you know, I never it's thought awful. I never thought that like anything would be as bad as like zombies, but like a dragon zombie never had considered it. Oh really? Uh, as soon as that dragon went down, I'm like, mm, oh, yeah. dragon zombie time. Oh yes. Yeah, me too. As soon as she flew those dragons up there, I'm like, oh good. Yes, hand them a dragon zombie. That seems like a good plan. Yeah. It's terrible. I loved there was some heated debate about whether it was a dragon zombie or an ice dragon. And then people were it's like, just like, you're wrong. It's clearly breathing fire and not ice. Yeah, it just happens to be blue fi- fire, which is yeah. even hotter. Which is a lovely distraction from the fact that a bunch of people are being are going to be deported. Yeah. Oh, uh, but we'll. Um, I think we'll we'll save talk of news for for next uh, episode because we've got a rather lengthy interview for this one. Uh, we've got um, a friend back on the show, Bethany, with her new um, podcast uh, co partner, um, Marissa. So why don't we just hop on over to that? Yeah. Oh, there's one thing I want to say before we do is uh, I don't okay. think at the very beginning we clearly said this, but uh, we're sort of debating about uh, puritist versus pragmatist. Right. Purist versus pragmatist. So uh, the discussion is going to be about uh, where you draw the line, how you deal with uh, what is uh, the right way to uh, address balancing the needs of doing the right thing all the time versus uh, making progress incrementally or things like that. So there's a couple, a lot of issues that go into that that I just butchered completely. Beautiful. Welcome to our very special guests for this episode, Marissa and Bethany of the Inciting Incident podcast, as well as several solo uh, adventures each. Say hi to the void, Marissa and Bethany. Hi to the void, Marissa and Bethany. Oh, hi, void. So complicit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I like being told what to do. Wait, what? <laughs> so far, no one, no one said no yet. 
Right. That's true. Right. We're going to need your consent in written form, though, just so you guys are aware. Awesome. Awesome. I'm great at that. <laughs> That's getting a little hot, and I thought that you guys had just met, so... <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm down. Zero like, zero I'm to consent it. forms around here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just to get us started, I, I just want to give you guys uh, a little bit of context on sort of why we're talking about this. It's something that I haven't really researched in any way. It's just something I've been noticing just passively that uh, I talked to Aaron about. And he was like, oh, that's these way smarter words than you just used. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I've noticed that in the liberal community, there's someone who is uh, uh, an esteemed person in some regard, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Uh, and then some piece of information comes out that is a negative, and immediately that person is boycotted or the company is boycotted or you know they are demonized as the worst possible thing that could ever exist. Uh, and I, I, I think that it's detrimental in some cases. So just just the small part of my argument, and then we could sort of talk about this in, in a bigger way, is that I think that there are some things that are absolutes, right? If someone is like a child molester, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're a terrible person in my eyes. But I think like we're all flawed human beings, uh, and sometimes people could do things that are definitely not okay, but I don't think that that should negate sometimes the good that they have done or that the company has done. Can you give me some specific examples so I so that you can contrast the two so I have a better idea of what Absolutely. you're talking about? Uh, Aaron and I, Aaron told me about uh, The Daily Show had some uh, problems with not having as many female guests on the show and that that was a problematic thing. And although I don't disagree that that, I, I agree that that is a problem. But uh, I don't think that that is something worthy of saying, oh, well, that was a problem and I'm never watching The Daily Show again and no one else should and they're terrible people. It's akin to Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a level of deciding what matters to you. And, you know, of course, there's you can't satisfy all the people. There's always going to be somebody who's upset by something. But there's also different lines in the sand for different people, especially those in marginalized communities. And then there are certain things that just aren't tolerated by them that other communities look in and say, oh, what's the big deal? It's just a joke. Or, you know, what's the big deal? You know, why are you so easily offended? So I I really think it depends more on the context and who's doing the offending and who's getting offended. Um, I don't I don't think it's just as easy to make a blanket statement like that. I don't think it, uh, you know, of course, we all agree that there are certain absolutes, but I also think that what gets people to to boycott something or to decide that they're not going to follow a certain person anymore. Uh, It depends on who it is. I agree. I think the other thing we have to keep in mind is there really are certain absolutes where you're just like, ooh, I can't with that person anymore. Um, Things like you said, like um, anyone who's a child molester, any any kind of consent violation like that, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, nope, great big nope. Um, If it comes to like something that could have easily been done accidentally or without thinking it through, like what you said with um, The Daily Show not having as many female guests as male guests. Um, That may be something that just happened to occur and they've realized it and they can sort that out now. Um, But yeah, any any kind of I think we can all agree to draw a line in the sand as regards consent violations. I don't know 
what else we can draw, we can all agree on, though. Well, is there, let me ask this sort of broadly amongst everyone. Has anyone noticed anything like this that you heard that there was some uh, negative thing that happened and the outcry was disproportionate uh, uh, from your perspective? Um, I was actually... uh... In, when you when you mentioned this, it was in conjunction. I've been thinking about some stuff with uh, the skeptical community and uh, various members um, and sort of positions that they've taken on various things. Um, and I actually uh, just today listened to the Sam Harris episode uh, with Charles Murray talking about the bell curve. Um, yeah, I and it was really to that interesting. When it first aired, yeah, yeah, it was interesting to listen through it. And, like, honestly, I don't come away with it feeling like I need to boycott Sam Harris for that particular thing. I think Sam Harris has said some things that are wrong. I disagree with him on some things. And there may be other reasons that, that are worth boycotting him. But I don't think that particular discussion was one that could necessarily justify it. There were parts of that discussion that made me think that he's very wrong about a lot of things, but not necessarily in such a way that made me think that... Uh, immediately he should be, you know, sort of excised from, from the community or something like that. So it's, it, I find it really tricky on this, this issue about where we, where we decide too far is for a lot of individuals. And then it sort of can vary, like you were saying, um, like y'all were saying, it's very context dependent where we draw that line. And I drew the line with Sam Harris for a completely different reason. By the time it got to that episode, I had already decided not to. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I'm also not the kind of person who's going to say, I decided to stop watching this person. Now everybody else needs to as well. And the reason I stopped following Sam Harris was because he decided to be one of the straight cis white dudes that blamed Trump on us, us being trans people. It's like, you know, how many people are going to double down on that bullshit? And also uh, the fact that I'm so sick of hearing it that whenever another straight white cis atheist decides to go, well, we really should think about how the trans people insisting that their people really caused all this. It's like, nope, don't give a fuck. Do you mind uh, if I ask what you mean specifically with Sam Harris? Sam Harris spent a lot of the post-election time making sure that all the attention and media uh, attention that trans people got uh, was disproportionate and unnecessary and led to people voting for Trump. If you go back to the, like, um, the immediate post-election time, he really banked on that. Right. And it was just really off-putting to me as someone who has uh, most of his books before that time. And you know, I, I quoted him in my senior thesis. So it's not like I was just a casual listener. But once it got to the point where it was like, oh, we have this horrible thing that happened. It's clearly our fault for being represented in the New York Times. It was it was around the same time that Bill Maher on Real Time said that uh, trans people are a boutique issue. Right. It it really brought a lot of that out of people because it seems to be a bridge. It seems to be a lot of a, a lot of points where people on each side can go, well, we don't get along that much, but at least those trans people are weird. Am I right? So I said before um, we got started, and I'm going to say it again, you talked about movement purism versus mu- movement pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron said that he was kind enough to give us a definition. And I think for the listeners, it's very important to make that distinction because that's really what we're talking about right now. Do you continue to follow someone after they make a mistake? Where do you draw the line in the sand? And how do you view the movement as a whole? Aaron? 
Yeah, I think that's sort of right. And and there's a couple of sort of spectrums where it's both like what kind of tactics, right? Because we've seen a lot of debate going on in uh, the news about like the use of violence by uh, Antifa. And that could be an argument about purism versus pragmatism. Should be, be should our side be radically nonviolent or is violence at some point a justified response? Same way you can have a discussion about uh, when should we decide this particular individual is no longer uh, someone that we want to be part of as our community or work with or something like that. Um, and like uh, when, when you originally brought it up, GW, you were talking about Hillary Clinton as well, which was another huge example of like purism versus pragmatism and the purism kind of going in the wrong direction for us that uh, so many individuals looked at right. Hillary Clinton and felt like they couldn't, couldn't accept a pragmatic solution on that one. And that, that more, far more than you horrible trans people and all your transing is probably <laughs> what cost us the election. Yeah. Like specifically with uh, the Hillary issue, right? 12% of Bernie supporters voted for Trump. Right. And, it seems to me, and this is just my opinion and not backed by any specific uh, uh, research, it seems to me that the only way that that happens is if people see a flaw in someone who is a quote-unquote Democrat and say that, that they're not good enough, ergo the person who is terrible is is fine. That's not a very – right. <laughs> that's not a really great way of saying it. Uh, uh, but it's, that's essentially it, right? 12% of Bernie supporters voted for Trump. And I can't fathom that because I was a Bernie supporter, absolutely. Yeah, and so like one downside of the purest attitude is that if you can't have it 100% correct, having it anything less than 100% is the same as having it at 0%. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering, uh, uh, two of you, what you guys think in terms of like, do you guys see it as a problem uh, uh, in terms of this purism pragmatism thing? Or or do you think that it may be something that I'm only seeing? Yes, but we still haven't defined the terms. So purism versus pragmatism. I, I really wanted the listeners to get that yeah, so, properly. Um, and these are uh, sort of approximation terms. There's no, there's no one exact term for what we're talking about here. Uh, mm -hmm. Purism... Gives, gets across the idea, similar to like an absolutist kind of view, that uh, there are certain, like we were saying at the beginning, there are certain things that are just off the table. If a person uh, does this, they're off the table. If a person uh, makes these sorts of choices, that's just, uh, and then certain behaviors are never allowed, like violence is never an option, would be a kind of purism. Unless they're um, unless it's a Nazi. And then, then you're getting into like pragmatism and then it's a debate about, is it, so pragmatism is really a debate about functionality. So the pragmatist side of the ethical view says, do, do what is functional, what produces the most good outcomes. And that's just kind of, that's a, that's not exactly the, the philosophical um, original term, but it's the way it's been come to come to be understood conventionally. And I think it's a useful way to sort of make the distinction that, uh, it's a question of uh, striking a balance. Well, to use some language that you like to use, Aaron, it's almost like which one's going to do the least amount of suffering. I think for me, you asked the question, GW, 
is this a problem or is this just something that you're seeing? Yes, I think it's a problem. And I think it's a problem because none of us is thinking of, oh, I mean, I am, but very few people are thinking of this the way Aristotle would. Very few people are trying to find the mean between the extremes, mm-hmm. right? Where I, I would consider myself to be both a purist and a pragmatist. I say I draw the line in the sand certain places. And when someone crosses that line, and I, I find that my line is pretty far back. Like like I said, I think we can all agree on not raping kids, right? Like that's a thing. But what if it's Like fun? there are certain... <laughs> okay, that's... <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, that was the worst joke. Send oh, all hate mail worst. to Eli Bosman. <laughs> That's right. Um, really, though, we no, haven't I, gotten I any hate that... mail yet. Voidpod at gmail.com. Really... Stirring shit to get fans. <laughs> you could be the first. You could be the first one. You could be our first hate mail. But yeah, don't you think that that's the right way to look at it? Yes, I am a purist in some form. In that there really is a line that I draw in the sand. However. I'm a pragmatist in that I can see around certain things and see that someone is still okay for our community, even if they make a decision that's a little weird to me, if I think that they can be convinced of what I consider to be the more skeptical or, or rational sure. view. The, the thing Here's the thing that I see, that uh, gerrymandering notwithstanding, it seems that oh the Republican Party and, and people who are Republicans do a much better job of being pragmatist and that at to an extreme to the sense that like, Oh, it doesn't matter if Trump says that he's going to sexually assault a woman by grabbing her by the pussy. Right. That there's no, cause they're still going to get their Supreme court. Cause pick. they're still right. right? The best yep. argument I heard, there was uh, this radio show I was listening to. I can't remember what it was, but they had on callers, like traditional radio, not podcasts. And they had on callers and it was, you know, if you're voting for Trump, let us know why. We're cur- like we honestly want to have a dialogue and, and want to know. And this one guy said, you know, I don't like what he says about women. I don't like what he says about immigrants. But for me, the biggest decision is the Supreme Court. And I was like, you know what? I respect that, right? Like I, I, I may disagree with this person's opinions, and I may disagree with that as a way, like being okay with with sexual assault and being okay with other things that he has said and done. But I, I respect that decision, that he acknowledges the problems with Trump and says he's going to vote for him because for him, the thing that was most important was the Supreme Court. I can't respect that decision, but I can understand it. The, the conventional wisdom has always been um, Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. The idea being that we have to love our candidate in order to vote for them, whereas they'll get behind the person they need to get behind at the end of the day. Um, and it's it's like you were it's like you were saying, Bethany, that like these these are not you know uh, separate things. It's a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum from radical purist to radical pragmatist, and mm-hmm. most people fall somewhere on that spectrum in terms of what where the, you know where they draw the various lines. And we probably spend a lot of our lives redrawing those lines as we come to terms with the nature of the void. Right? <laughs> Truth. We'd all like to be a little bit more purist, and then you know. Our encounters with the daily life leave us a little bit more pragmatic sometimes, I think. Yeah, it it seems to me, and I'm curious to know what you you all think of this as well, is do you think that that we as liberals have to define what that list of absolutes are, like like child molestation or, you know, sexual assault of any kind? Like, do, do, do you think that we have to sort of have that and go like, yeah, this person may not be 
the best person they may have done tax evasion and that's a terrible thing and they may have cheated on their wife and that's a terrible thing but look at all these other good things that they're probably going to do relative to a person in uh, the separate party in the opposite party do you think that it's levels of harm wherein we draw those lines when you're talking about it, you're saying that, you know, this this person may have cheated on their spouse or they may have um, evaded their taxes, but they didn't, you know, sexually assault someone or they didn't, um, you know, kick puppies for fun, mm-hmm. right? right. It's, is it levels of harm where we draw those lines and we all have that different level of harm that we are unwilling to accept? Is that where the purism comes in? Yeah, I think so. I think it all has to do with suffering in some way or another. Like even... Uh, 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 either not doing something by omission or, um, you know, s- s- a person might think like, oh, for me, the big issue is abortion, let's say, for example, right? And I want someone who is going to be pro-abortion, right? They may be for everything else that I want, but they're not for abortion. Is is it better to have that person or someone who is also against abortion and against a bunch of other things that uh, uh, I would want as well. I think in that case, it depends a lot on whether or not you intend to get an abortion or intend to, or you know someone who may get an abortion, at which point it's like that's going to directly impact my life. That that may be where you draw the line in the sand. But only if it's going to directly impact you. That's And again, that's a level of suffering personally that you're unwilling to accept. Is that is yeah. that a good way to do it? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I I hate to be that girl, but there's also a level of privilege that comes along with being able to say, well, I don't like what he does about this and this, but the Supreme Court's important to me, so I'm going to ignore all that. Because there's an awful lot of people that are being affected by those decisions that may not affect you that you're willing to gloss over and say, well, I don't care. It's not me. Um, you know, with like with the the trans ban or with, uh, you know, the things he said about women or the things he said about LGBT people like there's all, always all these times where a lot of people are sitting around trying to be rational by saying, oh, well, you know, I, I don't like that. But, you know, I, I, I have to respect it. And we're sitting there going now they're kind of targeting us here. And they'll say, well, you're, you're not seeing both sides of it. You're you're not willing to compromise. And. I have to make this argument all the time as a vocal trans activist, which is when the argument is I'm a person and the other person says, no, you're not or you're not valid or you're not or your gender is not valid or you're not who you say you are. There is no middle ground. There is no place where we can meet in the middle where we'll go, well, I can kind of see how you think I'm not a person. I can see how you think I'm not valid. So, I mean, that's where we get into trouble sometimes, which is where we decide that people are rational or we decide that uh, we can respect others' opinions when they disagree, generally when they don't affect the person talking about it. You know what I mean? That guy who was saying that about the Supreme Court may have not liked what the what the president said about women but also wasn't a woman so it didn't right but but that's exactly my point as regards suffering and that's sort of the the place i was trying to get to is isn't it more important to consider the suffering of not just say myself but others as well because Mm -hmm. i can absolutely look at a situation wherein a trans person is going to get the short end of the stick and when i say the short end of the stick i mean not being treated like a human and since i'm not trans i could just say well that's fine but i don't right but do let me ask you all this as well then 
Is there a distinction between a person who acknowledges the problems with someone and someone who actively says, like, agrees with what Trump was saying? You know what I'm saying? There is a difference. Uh There's a difference, but the result is the same. Right. It's like, um, if you don't know, I wrote a book six days after the election about being a trans person terrified of the fact that Donald Trump just got elected. And an awful lot of people came up to me and said, well, I know people who didn't vote for Trump because of that. And it's like, yeah, but by voting for him, you were still okay with it on some level. Just because that wasn't the reason that you voted for him, you still said, okay, I see this and I'm still going to cast my vote for this person. Whether or not you agree with it, your vote said, yeah, that's okay on some level, whether or not that was your reason. So uh, I think I'm sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. No, I think uh, something I want to point out just because as the philosopher in me wants to make it worse by pointing out how both sides are bad. Yeah. Uh, this is the void. There's a kind of, <laughs> we always th- make this it is bad. The void. Th- there's a kind of, yeah, I'm like, I'm just going to Toby Ziegler my way through this whole fucking interview. Um, <laughs> Toby! I'm so, I'm like sick and I'm depressed from DACA and I'm just going to make everyone else miserable as I am. I love Toby Ziegler so much you don't even know it. Well, okay, I just, I'm the happiest person in the world right now. Um, so... <sighs> There's a kind of privilege. Can I be Josh and you be Toby? Sure. You can be whatever you like. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you can have your bagels of victory. Um, yes. Bring me all the muffins and bagels in the land. Uh, there's a problem where there's a kind of privilege on both sides of the spectrum, right? If you take the purest point of view, there's a privilege of having the clean hands and saying, I'm not going to vote for Hillary or something because I don't want to be a part of the corrupt system, even though it means that people are going to lose their rights, and that's what's going to actually happen. And then on the other side, there's a kind of privilege in the pragmatism of saying, well, it doesn't matter to me if Donald Trump is going to take away people's rights as long as he's going to preserve the things that I care about. So we're sort of stuck trying to find some balance of those two things that isn't privileged. Well, there's privilege and there's also levels. Mm-hmm. There's also the ability to say, I may not like this person, but they're probably not going to openly advocate for the murder of certain classes of people. And then there's the other side where it's, I didn't get the person I wanted, therefore I'm going to vote for the other side to say fuck you to the DNC. And I think there was a lot of, um, I, I, I mean, of course, there, there are always lines. There are, there's always blurring. There's always privilege. There's always different examples. There's different levels. But w- what I saw a lot, at least in my personal perspective, from the people who were really pissed off that Bernie didn't get in, was a, I didn't get my way. And I realize a lot of us fell in love with Bernie Sanders. But at the same time, if you fell in love with the principles that Bernie Sanders supported, how do you look at one that goes, okay, this person's kind of center right. And, you know, we kind of campaigned against her for a little while. And maybe we don't like everything she does versus man-child who is openly racist, sexist, misogynist, and is openly advocating for sexual assault. It just seems like they're willing to, they're willing to pick out the, the, the smaller things in lieu of the bigger things that are much worse just to sort of you know, make some kind of point about screwing the system when the screwing the system part probably isn't going to affect you as much as it is yeah, other people. And I think like the statistic that I quoted, I, one of the things it left out was how many of the Bernie supporters went for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson or how many of them didn't vote at all. And, and so I want to ask roughly the same questions I've been asking, but 
go away from politics uh, to try to hone in on on this whole idea. So uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm a huge Joss Whedon fan. Buffy is probably my favorite show. All three of my cats are named after Buffy characters. I like you both so much. Every (laughs) single time you say something about yourself, it's just so delightful. One of the things I love about Joss is how much he has promoted women, how much he has written with about female heroines, right? Buffy was all about that, was like most of the male characters in Buffy are either evil or they are flawed in some massive way. Uh, Even Firefly was that way. And and so uh, I recently found out that there was a Buffy podcast and I got ecstatic. Um, it essentially the podcast, I can't remember the name or, I, or, or I'd reference it. Um, podcast was around, uh, one person who has seen and loves Buffy, uh, and most of what Joss Whedon does. And another person who's never seen Buffy, they were going to watch each episode and then do an, do a podcast episode after each one. I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Uh, so the first 20 minutes of the very first episode, they talked about how problematic Joss is and how problematic the show is. And I went, What? And although the points they made were, uh, uh, I wouldn't say incorrect, um, problems with with Buffy not being a very diverse cast, uh, they negated all of the positive social things it did based on the context in which the show was given. Uh, so they they I only got through episode halfway through episode three and I couldn't listen anymore because they kept sort of dogging on on Joss without also talking about the positive things he's done. So with with Joss Whedon. The criticisms were that uh, uh, he had numerously cheated on his wife, um, and it's the result of their divorce was because of that. I haven't fact checked that, so I don't know if it's actually true or not. I'm just going based on this one of the, this podcast. Uh, and so, this person who is who said that they were this huge Buffy fan were like, "Oh, but I don't like Joss because he's problematic for the way he treated his wife." So here's a similar situation, right? Uh, is is any one person uh, cheating on their spouse or their significant other in a monogamous relationship okay? No, it's not okay. Uh, relative to how much good, I think, for feminism that Joss has done, I think it's inconsequential. What do you guys think? I wouldn't say inconsequential, but I would say that we have to take both pieces of information and apply them to the context. Again, Joss Whedon is not running our country, so it's not nearly as big of a deal. But yeah, I would say that the things that Buffy did for women, at least in media, were were pretty interesting, especially at the time. Um, and then, you know, moving forward and seeing... Um, What's the crap? What's the other show? Dollhouse. Um, Dollhouse. Thank you. Um, seeing Echo in Dollhouse and the the intensity of that show. So good. And then again with Firefly, um, being able to see, for example, Zoe was just an amazingly strong character. But so were all of the other female characters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, every everything that he does and has done. And even um, the things he hasn't. In media. I'm sorry to cut you off. Even because I get excited, you know me. Uh, even the things he has <laughs> done, not as part of his shows. I don't know if you saw the speech he gave at that feminism event, or the or, or no, the uh, commencement speech he gave, which is all about feminism. I will send you links. I will put links in the show notes because the words he says are amazing. I think that there's, we have to look at Joss Whedon as. 
a bit of a hypocrite, right? Because cheating on your spouse is not a way of espousing or engaging or promoting feminism, right? Um, But at the same time, without that knowledge and without that data, you have to look at the pieces of media on their own. Um, and those things are good for women. So, so yeah, he was an asshole to a woman, but he also did some good things for women in media. So, so yeah, I, I look at it in both ways. This is me. I'm, I'm Aristotle. I'm the mean between the extremes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us ultimately end up somewhere in that middle ground, which is good, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I still can't tell if it's good or bad. I still like, because there are a lot of edge cases in the middle that I'm curious about still. So like, right. Let me ask. Yeah. GW, you are a huge fan of Josh. Love him. I can tell. Love him. It's all over your face. Let me ask you, if you found out that Joss, this person that you admire and respect and can even see past those, you know, personal issues where, you know, he cheated on his spouse, uh, ostensibly cheated on his spouse, we don't know for sure. Um, If you found out that that cheating also involved consent violations, how would you feel? Oh, I would 180, 100%. No, No questions asked. See, there's your yeah, line. And, and that's what it is for me, right? It's clearly it's uh, uh, sexual assault of any kind is is never okay, ever. Uh, uh, and, and there's Agreed. no excuse, right? Uh, and so, uh, like, I think that there are absolutes, right? When it's intentionally causing suffering uh, on a grotesque scale. Uh, and I think that's where, like, the conversation lies, right? I think there are things that we have humanity has looked at over time, like murder is wrong, right? That's something that just about every society with a few minor exceptions, mostly being wartime, uh, murder is something that most societies find not to be okay. Um, Maybe it's me. Um, I tend to wait and see a lot with problematic opinions or with, uh, you know, something like Josh, Josh Whedon. Um, to me, it often depends on how someone reacts to being called on these, because that, to me, can make a major difference. Because if we go with the uh, very real you know, perspective that humans are flawed and they need opportunities to learn, um, you know, there's definitely people I admire who have said and done problematic things over the years that are not necessarily in that absolute category. But it's the difference of someone who is willing to go, oh, I'm sorry, please tell me what I did wrong here against someone like, say, I don't know, Peter Bogosian, (laughs) who, you know, doubles down on the shit he's being called on. That, to me, is indicative much more of what kind of person they are as opposed to initially saying something problematic. It's when they go, I hear your criticism, but fuck you or you know it's just I, I i see that a lot especially in our own community which is where people build themselves up to be uh this vision of this a person purist. and they get a criticism that might disturb that and their reaction is often to go well no i'm not you're just crazy and Riss, i admire it- yeah was it dawkins who said a thing about the trans and then walked it back I don't know. Somebody um, somebody big like that. I can't recall. Um, 
I should probably, you probably should cut this because I can't remember okay. who it was, but I feel like somebody recently, maybe one of you can tell me. I don't know. No, I'm not sure. I, I, I find it hard to keep track of all the different old white guys. <laughs> I know. I have trouble with that as well. Maybe don't cut this because I can't remember, but seriously, like that will happen. And you're absolutely right. If you can say, hey, dude, or gal, or whomever. Dude is a non-gendered like, term. Yeah. I feel that same way, but some know, people do not. And therefore, I am speaking well to those people yeah. if I can. Um, so you, you go to the person and you say, hey, maybe this is not the best perspective to have. You should probably do something about that. If they do walk it back, if they do immediately recognize their error, there is some possibility for um, redemption there. But again, that's if you're espousing a, a poor choice of belief or, or a poor choice of words or whatever it is. If we're talking about, you know, kicking puppies for fun, you can't really walk that back. That was something you did, right? You can't walk back sexual assault. You can't walk back child rape. Yes and no. I think with, with sexual assault, uh, I think it depends, right? Because sometimes sexual assault is... Like someone can be convicted of uh, um, uh, uh, child molestation, but it's between a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old, and they, you know, went to school together. And uh, uh, there have been cases where they were in a consensual relationship and had consensual sex. And I specifically said consent. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that. My apologies. Yeah. But no, Riss, I think that you make a really great point that. Uh, I like I like thinking about how the person reacts when they make a mistake. I'll use I'll use an example I used on an, on one of our podcast episodes really early on. Uh, I was doing I teach and I was doing a safety lecture, and I was sort of like talking to students about stuff, blah blah blah. And I said, you know, and and he might do this, and she might do this, and and I said he to a young woman who's trans, and I said he incorrectly, and and she correctly said she, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, she. And then after class, I like went up to her and I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And I apologize. And she was like, no big deal. Right. Which is like, that's the exact scenario that conservatives use of like, oh, but I might use the wrong thing. And then I'm in trouble and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, right. I just said I made a mistake. And oh, no problem. You're a she. I'm happy to call you she. Yeah. <laughs> it was that uh, simple. I can, give a com- <laughs> I can give a completely contextual example to some to how something like this might happen. Uh, one of you just said, dude is a non-gendered term, yeah. right? So it's also fair to point out to say it's easier to say from your perspective because that word has never been used to misgender you, right? Sure. So if we look at the context, if someone says, hey, please don't call me dude because, you know, uh, uh, people that, that word bothers me. That word has been used to misgender me. And some people say, well, it's a non-gendered term. You really shouldn't be offended. It's like, that's where it's a problem. Yep. It's Right, it's which is not- exactly how I changed my mind when Riss brought it to my attention. I had always, I don't mind being called dude. I'm a cis woman. It doesn't yeah. bother me. But that's absolutely the case. Some people are bothered by that. So I will absolutely rescind that. I apologize. And I don't do that anymore. Right. And I'm not even saying like the word itself. But like if you go, hey, dude, come here. And someone goes, I'm not a dude. 
and you know you, you instead decide to double down and accuse right. them of having yeah. the problem that's where people get into trouble but i'm not even that person unless you say you're a dude in which case i'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself <laughs> but the point is when someone tells you that something you said bothers them and your immediate instinct is to blame the other person, that's when it's a problem. The scenario you presented where you slipped and you went, oh, my bad, move on, and everything's fine. I've been through that 95% of the times I've had this problem. It's the other 5% that I tend to bitch sure. about. <laughs> Though, admittedly, you do put those stories, Riss, on your Facebook wall and and actually tell the stories of when people say the wrong term and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, and correct themselves after you tell them what they should say. I love those stories. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens most of the time. Sorry, Aaron, I cut mm -hmm. you off. No, it's okay. Um, I was just going to say, uh, amusingly, in the um, the dudist community, in the, the Big Lebowski mm -hmm. fan club communities, there's there's like a fun there's a, a funny but sometimes gets angry debate about the gendering of the 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 word dude which is such a central word for that that cult um, that you're a part and of <laughs> and I think in general from what I see the majority especially of female dudists prefer the term dude to dudette and that the community sort of gently corrects new people by saying you know we consider this a non gendered term everybody here is a dude but I think. You're very much right that, you know, if there's someone who says, look, I grew up with people calling me dude and meaning it as a masculine uh, term and, and using it specifically to harm me in that sort of way, don't call me that. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. And anyone who comes back with it's a non-gendered term, you shouldn't be upset by that is doing it wrong. Can we bring it back to purism versus pragmatism? Yes, I was actually sure. just about to do that. Uh, <laughs> okay, no, 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 that's great. Um, so here's here's a question I have. I think language in and of itself evolves, right? And and there's a lot of evolution of language, right? You know, for example, gay used to be literally just meaning happy, right? Uh, uh, and it was also some people's last names were or Gaylord. That was an actual like people's name. I, I've actually been to a town in Connecticut. Uh, Aaron, you might have been there as well. Gaylord, yeah, it's Gaylord, so. Gaylord, Connecticut. Yeah. yeah, it's the Lords of Happiness. Yeah. Uh, so I think that language in and of itself evolves over time, and there's also regional language as well. I'm from Southern California, and in, in Southern California, we call freeway we, – when we say the number of a freeway, we start it with the, the 101, the 405, when the mo majority of the country doesn't say the. Uh, so also for me – and this, is, this goes to that purist. So is there room for some language, not all? some language to be uh, acceptable to have multiple meanings based on region. I don't even know if it's region. I think my first place would be intent. How do you intend to use that word? Uh, it goes back to the point I was making earlier. If you mean dude as a colloquialism that's at the start of a sentence, like, dude, come here, you know, or something like that, or, oh my God, dude, check yeah. this out. That's a lot different than some of the shitty things people have said to me, like, oh, you'll always be a dude to me. Right. That matters. That distinction matters. And it goes a lot of the ways with intent. It doesn't completely excuse terrible things that people say. And it also doesn't excuse them from reacting by blaming the person who got upset. But I think we have to take intent into consideration at least a majority of the time 
and then see how it unfolds. You know, if someone says, oh, my bad, you know, we move on, fine. You know, um, I, I think there are plenty of instances where it's just a misunderstanding or just maybe someone doesn't like that word. I'll even give an example where that's happened to me. Uh, I was in a thread with um, some trans people that I was talking about uh, some of the things that people have said to me. And I referred to one of them as uh, stupid, which is not an offensive word to me. But the person said, I find that to be an ableist slur. Please don't use that on my Facebook. I didn't necessarily agree with them, but to me, the much easier reaction is to go, oh, I'm sorry, I'll edit the word. Right. It seems to be easier to change your use of a word in a single instance than it is to double down and get really mad at a person for not liking a word. I think uh, this is good. It, um, it highlights another sort of nuance in the way that we can, we can understand this spectrum where you're kind of, you're pragmatic about... Uh, like the use of the word dude, for example, in various contexts, you can you can be more pragmatic about uh, understand like the whole the whole flexibility of understanding intent is a is a less purist approach, right? A purist approach to language would say this word always means the masculine always, or this word always means the non-masculine. But you can see the the flexible perspective. But at the same time, you're a purist about the underlying moral principle of you shouldn't try to harm people through language. And whenever someone tells you that they're harming you through language, you should be sensitive to that request to, to use different language. So I think we found two lines in the sand, right? Intent and suffering. Mm-hmm. And, well, I think, so far, can, can I modify that and add one more? I think it's also it. what Riss was saying, and that is also, if you're called out on whatever the thing is, assuming it's not, you know, child molestation and kicking puppies, how you react to it afterwards may also be part of that. So intent, suffering, and what would we call that? Um, what would you use a single oh, word for that? I don't know if I have a single word, but open to criticism. Okay, yeah. You know, if there's a single word for that, Humility? that would probably work. But there we go. That Humility. Aaron's usually the Beautiful. wordsmith. <laughs> so so that's that's an excellent way of looking at this. If we're, if we're going to draw those lines, intent level of suffering and humility are are really important if we're going to look at it skeptically and rationally, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something I want to ra- uh, say before we wrap it here a little bit yeah. soon. Sorry, I've been rambling but, um, a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's been, it's been good. I just wanted to throw out one more thing just to make sure that we're being fair to both sides of this uh, discussion, that um, both sides will say that their goal is to minimize suffering, right? Whether you're a purist or a pragmatist or somewhere in between, pretty much every human being is going to be on board for the reduced suffering train nominally. We might think that some people are better or worse at it than others. And there certainly are some people who just don't give a shit, but like uh, people who say I'm sticking with my, my purest principles on this are going to say, you know, what small amount of suffering happens in the short term by sticking by those principles is better than the sacrificing and loss of uh, goodness that comes from abandoning those principles. And then, vice versa, the pragmatist is going to make their reasoning. So I think we don't want to get into the mindset that a pragmatist is someone who cares about suffering and a purist is someone who cares about keeping their hands clean, for example. I think another thing I wanted to point out, and I think that's a really good point, that brings me to you can't always know the intent. If you can know the intent, then you absolutely can factor that in. But let's say that there is someone who calls risk dude and intends it to mean 
a male, a, a masculine word. Um, and then when she says, I'm not a dude, then ceases saying it and claims not to have had that intent, but did. Um, I think there's also the propensity and the possibility that the person will lie about their intent if they're called out on a thing. Yeah, that's certainly problematic. So that that intent and humility portion. Um, it's it's true intent, right? It's iffy. Yeah, it's it's true intent and true humility as opposed to the feigned version that just gets them out of the problem. Is that what you think you are? A hero? Saved the world, didn't I? Once. Talk to me after you've done it a couple more times. Celebrating uh, Mr. Joel Osteen. Oh, yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. So thoughts on Joel, our hero of the week, the pastor with the mega church in Houston who didn't open his doors to uh, people fleeing the hurricane and didn't provide a shelter initially and then was, you know, complaining that he hadn't been asked to provide a shelter. And then when he ended up providing services, he was passing the... Uh, Passing the collection plate. He also told victims not to have a, quote, poor old me mentality. Right. Yes. Don't be don't have a victimhood mentality. Prior to this incident um, and and his dickishness, um, I despised Joel Osteen. My sister and I um, used to occasionally watch his show. Because we're both atheists, and I love her very, very deeply. Shout out to my little sister, Laura. (laughs) Um, We would watch his show and, like, break it down and poke fun at him. And, like, I can recall, maybe not with her, but, like, watching and throwing things at the TV. Not, like, heavy things. I never broke anything. But, like, I hate this man already. And then to hear that he has done these things... In the middle of a fucking crisis, makes me want someone to separate his head from his shoulders. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's like Jesus said, you know, if you encounter a bunch of people who have been through the worst thing in their life, you should really try to profit off of it as much as possible. Right. That's, yeah, Acts uh, 3192, which is not a verse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian area. And I had a group of girls in high school come up to me and go, I'm just sitting there like eating lunch. And they just like walked up to me randomly. I don't know who these, these women are. And they were like, you know, you're going to hell, right? And I was like, <laughs> what? Uh, this piece I follow of you. Go on. That claims to, that says bullshit like, you know, well, he actually probably has never said this in his thing about uh, it's easier for a man to walk through. Uh, or a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than a man than a rich man to get into heaven. Close enough. <laughs> I, like, it's the easiest thing, right? Everyone has seen like Hunchback or Notre Dame, right? Sanctuary, right? It's like church is supposed to be the place that like takes care of the poor and takes care of people, and like that's also why you don't get fucking tax uh, have to pay any taxes like this is the easiest thing a bunch of people are suffering open your goddamn doors for your 15,000 seat mega church and just let people i don't know not get a little wet and maybe not die and you turn people down and then guilt them once you do let them in because you get so much social media outrage you let them in and then you're like oh and here's my bucket not a plate a bucket which is what they pass around for people to put fucking money in and the, the, I have a problem with prosperity ministry in general, and not just from the religious aspect. It's basically a bunch of people going around saying, 
you know, don't have a victim complex, don't accept handouts, but give me all your money for me talking about my invisible friend for an hour. It's just, you know, we were talking about hypocrisy earlier. There is such a level of hypocrisy of reading a book about a guy who hates the rich. It, it talks about supporting the poor and a whole book that is, you know, be kind unto others and do unto others. And then to turn around and tell a bunch of people who have just lost everything, not only to not be a victim, but to also give me money. That is just absurdly hypocritical. Ask me right. how surprised I would be if the scandal that came out was him blowing dudes at some rest stop. Yeah. Looks like financial scandal is the winner on our big wheel of which scandal yeah. has the person and been I engaged found it in. And on the biblicalworldview.org. <laughs> right. Apparently he was using his, um, quote, mega church to sell his books. Um America's most popular supermarket tabloid claims famous evangelist Joel Osteen is caught up in a financial scandal using his Houston megachurch to sell his books. Right. That's, that, can, that probably isn't the big one, right? There's always probably... No, I'm sure there's another one somewhere, but that was the first one that came up. Right. I um, one, of my, one of my favorite heroes growing up was Bill Hicks, and he talked about how the farther right somebody is, the worse the skeletons are in their closet. And so you imagine that Someone like Joel Olstein's got that collection of tiny shoes somewhere. Sadly, we're going to have to shuffle it, I think, uh, into the uh, virtual world for now. Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry. All the tangents. It's okay. I know you want to talk tangents. about Firefly with your friends. I understand. <laughs> so do I. It's okay. Oh, uh, do y'all want to, before, we, before we get out of here, why don't y'all... No, no, no. You're, you're excited. We know you're excited, but they should talk about their things. So... Uh, do you want to say a little bit about what, what, where we can find y'all when you're not here talking to us about Firefly? Wrist baby girl, you go first. How many? How, how much time do you have? <laughs> All of the time. <laughs> All right. So I have five podcasts. Um, <laughs> the main one being the one I host with the the my better half over there, Bethany, the Inciting Incident podcast. Uh, we are posting episode 109 this week, so we. You know, it's the uh, most tenured show that I'm on. Nice. Uh, I co-host a show with Ari Stillman from Gaytheist called The Sis Are Getting Out of Hand, where we make fun of you people. Um, <laughs> I co-host uh, Doubting Dogma with Molly on Mormon. I co-host uh, FTM for Trans Men with my husband, Aiden. I'm sorry, and what, what I, does FTM stand for? For Trans Men. Oh, great. And uh, that's the show where I pretend to be an idiot so that he can tell his story. Um, it's fun, and he's cute, so it balances out. <laughs> and he really then, is adorable. Um, if you guys don't know Aiden, adorable. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. And then um, I started releasing my audio book in 20-minute segments on a podcast called Storytime with Rissy. And uh, speaking of podcasts, uh, Callie Wright and I, uh, it's not entirely official, but we have started a trans-specific media network slash charity uh, called the, uh, tra the Trans Podcaster Visibility Initiative, where we take, uh, we're, we're, we're banding together uh, as many trans podcasters as we can find, and we're also starting a charity to like raise money to get trans people who perhaps have something to say but not the budget to buy the equipment or anything and donate to them so that we can get more trans voices out there. Uh, so that's, like I said, that's unofficial. There's more to come with that, but, you know, I'm talking about it every chance I can get. Uh, uh, can, four books. Can, can I say, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you again. Can I say if 
uh, I am more than happy to donate my services in terms of if anyone needs any teaching or coaching on audio editing or of any kind, I am happy to do so. Look oh, at cool. that. G-dubs is the awesomest. What did I say? Awesome. I told you I was in love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I it. have uh, four books and a whole bunch of other shit. You can find it at riskmccool.com or you can type in Marissa Alexa McCool into Amazon. And I've been on pretty much every podcast you can think of. <laughs> so uh, my, my work's out there. It's not hard to find. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. Um, I am smaller. Um, <laughs> I'm, as, as Riss said, I'm her co-host on Inciting Incident that started about nine episodes ago and is going just swimmingly. Um, it's, it's going smashingly well. Um, in addition to that, uh, as you guys well know, I was a guest on this show with my other co-host, Kristen, um, on Is This Real Life? We are currently on hiatus, um, due to something completely unrelated and, and Kristen specific, but uh, that is supposed to be coming back at some point soon. And beyond that, I have been pushing back and I apologize to any listeners who have been waiting and waiting to hear my show's crimey wimey stuff and she talks atheism. I apologize profusely. I am working on them. There have been some major events in my life lately which have pushed them back, but I am working on them and the new the first shows should be posting soon. You can also find information on those two shows and inciting incident on my Facebook page. Um, follow me on Twitter. Each of those shows and I personally we all have um, Twitter voices, so by all means, check us out. What's and, your Twitter handle? Uh, mine personally is Bethany L. Futrell. Riss McCool. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for coming on and having this great chat. I feel like, sadly, the time flew by too quickly, so we'll have you all back on again soon, hopefully. Yeah, every time Bethany's on, like we go like way too long. <laughs> I told you I was a talker. I said this. You're both. No, you're both. You like you both are like ridiculous, though. You're just with your firefly, <laughs> you crazy kids. <laughs> the kids with your TVs. Yeah, whatever. I like the one where the thing happened in the space Ooh. place with the guy uh, and the girl and the other person. Yeah. Oh my god, me too. Y'all, y'all can't like <laughs> yeah, any of those and, things because the person who made them is a terrible person. That's the rule. Well, that's well, right. And and because Owl City made a song about it, right? That's how it works. Oh, right. Yeah, you can't like any of those things. <laughs> Shit, I've got to find something else to like. I have cats. Have you tried just sitting in a dark room? <laughs> I, I like that very much. Actually. <laughs> Have you guys seen that co- that college humor episode? Yes. Very calming. Do you guys want to go sit and sit uh, in a basement and just stare at the corner? Yeah. Do we, yeah, do, do we die? Yeah. yeah. Great. Great. We want to thank Big Hike for a great review on iTunes. They said, "Want a slice of politics with your weekly philosophy feast, or is that a serving of philosophy with your political lunch? Either way." Grab onto your seat and learn about the state of the world while learning about the state of humanity. Really great review. We also want to thank our new patrons, Brusque Platypus, I think that's how you say it, and Dave at theramblingblog.com. If anyone else wants to do a shameless plug by becoming a patron and making me say your podcast name, we here at The Void are chomping at the bit to sell out. Again, we want to thank the continuing support from our top patrons, Dave Maslich and Jesse Rubinowitz. As always, remember, you are the void, and the void is you. Yeah.